Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for checking out another episode of Book Club. This time we are welcoming back Martin Popoff. Martin was here a few months ago to talk about his Bowie at 75 book, and now he's here to talk about ACDC at 50. We've had a few of these on. This series is incredible. I've said many times before, the books are amazing because you can read them and they're full of fantastic content. It's counting down uh, you know, either 75 or 50 benchmarks in a band's career. and uh, But it also serves as a really beautiful coffee table book. There's lots of rare photographs and knickknacks and stuff like that in the book. Well, Martin, I think, as everyone knows, is one of the premier music writers out there. I always think of him mo- mostly with, like, hard rock and heavy metal. But he writes about everything. And so, and ACDC is a band that's very close to his heart. So this was a big, kind of a passion project for him. Basically, he was the right man for this job. All right? Now, he and I, are we agree our favorite ACDC album is Power Age. That's why I want to play a track off Power Age. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation. And it is always a joy and an honor to talk music with Martin. Because he's so smart and so... Um, well-spoken. So, anyway, hope you enjoy this. What shirt are you wearing today? I was trying uh, to piece up. Voivod going, and we got a uh, b- big okay. elf uh, big elf hoodie. <laughs> big elf? Yeah, yeah. The only elf I know is Ronnie's early band. That's Big elf is something different? Yeah, they're kind of a... Um, they're, they sound... They're, they're super retro, and they use Mellotrons and stuff like that. They sound like your eye heap, essentially. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I don't know how many okay. albums they got now, but they were pretty spread, spread, uh, spread apart. I think they were a trio. They look really hippie-ish. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Things. I I'd never paid that close attention to Uriah Heap and our my friend BJ, who does the Rock and or Roll podcast that you've been on. He recently has been doing these album a day things where he'll give like a quick fifteen minute review of someone's entire a band's entire catalog and he started doing uriah and i thought well i'll i'll go along with it and after about three or four uriah heap albums i decided these guys just aren't for me yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's not my jam what what are your top five favorite albums of all time Ooh, you wouldn't like any of mine um well my favorite is i i'm late to the heavy metal thing my favorite album of all time is um the debut crowded house album wow okay cool yeah and um 
up there is also Iggy Pop's Lust for Life album okay. is up there. David Bowie's Scary Monsters is up there. Yeah, that's my favorite Bowie. Yeah. Me too. Billy Squire, say Don't Say No is hmm. up there, near Pretty there. Cool, yeah. Massive Attack, Mezzanine. Yeah, that, um, that's the first one I don't know anything about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I figured. Yeah. 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 What about you? Uh, I often go with uh, Black Sabbath Sabotage, Clash London Calling. Yes. I've put yeah. physical graffiti up there before. Yeah. I don't know, ACDC Power Age, maybe Thin Lizzy yes. Renegade, that okay. kind of stuff. But Man Manic Street Preachers, Everything Must Go. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I could see putting a putting a Peter Gabriel 3 in there. I could yes. see putting Kate Bush The Dreaming in there. There's, there's a lot, yeah. Wow, look at you. More diverse than yeah. I thought. <laughs> That's great. Well, good. Okay, so we're going to do ACDC. I finished reading the book. I love it, just like everything else you do. Um, I am curious... Okay, I have a first and foremost. What was your first impression of ACDC? When did you first become aware of them? Yeah, so uh, so we were on a family vacation across the country. I'm from Trail BC, so in the west, we're we're in Winnipeg at this point. The the family van, and uh, I remember being in a Kelly's and seeing "Let There Be Rock," and I thought, well, these guys aren't really rocking out on this cover, but the name's ACDC. It could be heavy. Um, you know, flip it over. Bad boy boogie. I don't know about that. That sounds a little lame, you know, and then this and the song titles didn't sound that great. And there's this little kid in the band. And and so I so I bought that. And I think at the same time at the same store, I bought high voltage, I believe. And then you go on the family vacation all the way across and all the way back, and you're gone for two or three weeks, and you're just hoping it doesn't melt. Uh, and uh basically got it back and played it and um you know one of the things me and my buddies thought of that album right off the bat was um okay so so none of it none of it was as heavy as our favorite heavy stuff but every single song was heavy so it was literally the first album that we had ever heard actually second after rainbow rising where every song was heavy and then the mm -hmm. sex pistols album was the same year and that and that's every single song was heavy right yeah um, so that was kind of funny so so acdc you know quickly became one of our favorite bands but you know they they never were going to make those super heavy songs even power age didn't have anything that heavy and then highway to hell had a, had a few that were that heavy um mm -hmm. they got a little heavier but um but yeah, so so it was uh, that was it. So as as a new release, uh, as a new release, my first one would have been I was would have been fourteen years old in seventy seven. So okay, getting that, yeah, and then being so, on board for all the new releases since after that. So you mentioned in the book that you th you're pretty sure they're your favorite band ever. Well, you know, I I uh, oscillate back and forth. You know, it's them. Black Sabbath, Thin Lizzy, Blue Oyster Cult. But yeah, ACDC, I could definitely make that argument for because I've been with them for so long and I love so yeah. many of their albums a lot and I like every one of them somewhat, yeah. at least, except for yeah. one or two. But so yeah, so they're they're definitely uh definitely way up there. Um, you know, no one else sounds like them, that's for sure. Although yeah. That's not entirely true because they got so big that they they spawned a little cottage industry and bands that wanted to sound like them. Speaking of which, if you don't know this band, hopefully you find it and think it's interesting. They're called Young Heart Attack, and um, 
they only ever put out one album called Mouthful of Love, okay. and it sounds like AC them doing ACDC and Who songs. Yeah. The yeah. drummer is the guy is uh, Joey from Fastball, and okay. uh, anyway. Check it out if you get a chance. Yeah. Mouthful of Love by Young okay. Heart Attack. It's a great album. Sounds a All lot right. like these guys. Yeah, when I was reading your book, I was thinking, what are, what are my, I think my first impression of ACDC was uh, Heat Seeker. I would have been 14 or so. when, And I probably, you know, I'd heard Back in Black and all that stuff through osmosis. But um, the first thing that really, that I can think of was the Heat Seeker video and Brian jumping out his curly afro that's poking out under his hat and stuff like that. And about halfway through your book, when you cover when you're near the end of the eighties going into the nineties, and you mentioned that the eighties had been sort of a rough period for them, it didn't occur to me until that moment that I don't know that I had ever listened to an album of theirs after for those about to rock. And um I'm fairly new to the ACDC game. I was one of those people who felt like every song sounds the same and they're good, but I don't need to dig deep because there's not a lot of depth there. And then about seven or eight years ago, it occurred to me that every song sounds the same and they're great. And that's a good thing. So mm -hmm. explore, you know, and I just realized I had not gone past that. And maybe the heat seeker video had something to do with it. So anyway, that was my, that's I mean, a total my, low point. I mean, that, that album yes. is a big low point. I mean, basically yeah. for those about to rock wasn't particularly great. Um, I love flick of the switch, but fly in the wall was a step down and, and blow up your video. People do not like blow up your video. Nobody does. It's not a great production. Heat Seeker's not a particularly great song. The videos oh. are really cheesy. Yeah. You know, later on, you know, you can argue about, I don't like rock or bust or whatever, but blow uh -huh. up your video is, is really, yeah, that's just, it's too bad. That's just a, a real low for them. It is so interesting. You said that Martin, because to get ready for, I thought, well, maybe I should start diving into these albums. I saw nothing good about Flick of the Switch, and I loved Fly on the Wall. And I don't know why. I, my feeling was reverse. What is the matter? So the bigger, broader question here is, what do you think happened to ACDC in the 80s? Well, I think I think there was some drinking problems with Malcolm. Um, you know, maybe it's the hangover of having such a big album in Back in Black. I mean, it was still a good thing. I mean, I mean, for those about to rock was kind of like a weak tea warmed over version of Back in Black. But flick on the flick of the switch was was quite heavy and raw. It and was, so was fly on the wall. Fly on the wall. Brian's voice is is starting to you know, he's having problems with that. So, you know, you you it possibly you could say it was that a little bit as well. You know, some of the, um, uh, a lot of the, uh, the rock and roll thunder was taken over, um, you know, uh, with, with hair metal and, uh, the excitement around thrash and, and death metal and all that, but mainly hair metal. And then some other, some other big bands were doing well. I mean, ACDC was doing okay. They're still going platinum kind of thing, um, during that period. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's no real reason for it ever because it's not hard to write those songs. I mean, even if you quietly had to bring somebody else <laughs> in or or just work on it yourself, I mean, a little more, you you, you got to come up with 10 ACDC songs every two years. How hard could uh -huh. it be, right? Um, but they just did not come up with the goods during during that time. It was uh, it was not a good time. I mean, they had a falling out. They had the big falling out with Krebs management, so that mm -hmm. caused some problems. And then so they self-produced. Um, flick of the switch and they got you know J george young vanda young are back for blow up your video but it proved they didn't have that good instincts or whatever at that yeah. point 
And then they had a big, um, a big comeback album with the Razor's Edge. They everybody's in love with ACDC uh-huh. all over again. That thing went four or five times platinum. I can't remember the number now, but it had a lot of hits on it. Are you ready? And um, you know the the big one. Uh, 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 Thunderstruck, uh, Thunderstruck, Money Talks, um, Money Talks. You know, and Bruce Fairburn is producing, so you're getting this. Uh, and he you had know, his had another drummer right drummer switch, but you have a yeah. very sort of clicky modern sort of sound to it as well but it just seemed to have a lot more life than blow up your video which had a real mushy sort of sound to it so yeah you know i guess the long and short of it is i can't really answer that i don't know why i there's no real good reason for acdc to particularly go into the doldrums because it's not hard that stuff speaking of that you know you saying that reminds me do you know and you mentioned in the book a couple of times that you've interviewed some of them and I want to ask you more about that in a minute but do you know anything about their writing process because to me uh Angus it feels like Ang- like the Angus might approach songwriting similar to how Keith Richards might which is just a riff let's let me just keep playing around with riffs and when I found a killer find a killer one we'll build on that we'll build a song around it I just imagine them sitting there for hours a day trying to find a good riff. You know, and that's something I've never really thought about very much. And uh, I would just tend to agree with you that I think that would be how it works. Yeah. Um, Cause everything is just a, just a strange, interesting permutation on what they've always been doing. So, so that's the middle six songs. And yeah. then they've got, then they've got the slightly experimental things around the edges, which aren't that experimental. That's true. But you know, they're, they're, they've got some fast ones, some slow ones, some straight right. blues, you know, things approaching quietness uh, right. occasionally, you know, and, and as time went on, they got away from any rote boogie, like it wasn't just straight boogie. And that's kind of the cool thing about them as well. I, I did a podcast episode a long time ago of my history in five songs, a podcast of uh, how to make the blues interesting, right? For <laughs> actually how to make the blues interesting for metalheads. I think I called it right. And, okay. and you know, <clears throat> Foghat, ZZ Top, Status Quo, ACDC, Clutch. Um, these are all, you know, these are all bands that infused heavy metal riffery into, you know, 50s rock and roll kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And ACDC certainly had their own way of doing that. You know, I just had a thought. We were talking earlier about our favorite albums of all time. One of them that I didn't mention is Yes's 90125. And right. um, I'm talking about why ACDC may have fallen off in the 80s. Do you think that they could have or should have embraced newer technology a little bit more? Do you think they would have had... It's. I mean, in retrospect now, any album of theirs that would have come close to 90125 would have been such a weird outlier in their catalog. But I wonder if they needed to evolve a little bit more and not you know, stick to the We'll never rock. know, but but they are famously, famously a band that didn't, uh, didn't succumb to, to yeah. hair metal. You know, the new wave of British heavy metal, they were a juggernaut by that point. They weren't paying attention to that. They they really didn't embrace any technology other than really that bass drum sound that Bruce Fairburn got on Chris Slade. I mean, that was really it. By the time you got to the next album, five more musical genres had gone by. I think it's another five years at that point. You get to Ball Breaker and they're and they're back to literally sounding as as warm and woody and analog that they ever did and they and uh-huh. they would sound that way you know throughout the next i think it's five albums more that that yeah. we have in the catalog um so um yeah they literally they they never really changed their you know 
the, the farthest they got into hair metal is, is um, Angus's uh, jacket, you know, went from being black to like plush purple <laughs> and, and, and his hair was longer. That's true. Longer that's hair. it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's as far as the, as anybody got in that band to hair metal. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, the fact of the matter is, and, and they're very wily and canny about business, but you know, I'm not sure they would have thought this, but the fact of the matter is, they were close enough to hair metal anyways. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, and half the hair metal guys, they're, they're, they're willow boughs bent to yes. ACDC anyways. I mean, half yes. of those guys, you know, you could play most of those hair metal albums and you, and you could definitely hear an ACDC oh, yeah. on most of them. Definitely. Definitely. Um, okay. We both have the same favorite ACDC album, which is Power Age. Power Age, Power Age, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, I'm curious why it's magical for you. The, I'll, a brief story for me. My, the producer Mark Opitz was on here five or six years ago, and he was like an engineer or something on that album. And he made the statement that he feels like it's his, it's their best album. He's really proud of it. And I thought, huh, most people wouldn't say that. I guess I need to give Power Age more of a chance. And when I listened to it through his eyes, I knew exactly what he meant. And it became my favorite ACDC album after that. What about you? What's your story? Yeah, I, I love it to death. You know, I, I got it as a new release, the Canadian red vinyl version of it. I, I just find it to be um, really warm and analog, but also still kind of raw at the same time, if that's even possible. Um, it's got kind of experimental things on there, like down payment blues and what's next to the moon some sort of quieter songs um you know sin city's pretty rocking rock and roll damnation i remember hearing that as a kid and we were shocked at how poppy and mellow it was and we thought this uh -huh. album was going to be terrible it's a little bit of the, the whole living after midnight or van halen jump moment you know because it was an advanced single like both of those songs were um but uh yeah i just uh, i just love the uh the the warm sort of charm of it kicked in the teeth yeah. uh you know it, everything's pretty pretty simple on it 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 doesn't sound as uh let there be rock for some reason kind of depresses me a little like mm. black sabbath volume four it's almost like just too smothering uh and and uh, and electric sounding i think their best album is probably highway to hell or back in black yeah. and highway to hell is my second favorite acdc album but power age is just uh it's just uh, the the most charming, I would say, of yeah. all of them. Yeah, so southern rocking your... too. That's the other thing. I've Good I've point. often considered it their most southern rocking album. That's true, and that's interesting you say that because I don't get off on southern rock in general, like the Leonard Skinners and stuff like that. But I do enjoy where they're at in this album and on that album. I feel like maybe it's kind of like you were saying. It's the best mix of a worn sound that's also still pretty raw and rocking. But they're approachable songs. Anyway, I don't know what it is either. I what is your history with ACDC? You allude in the book a few times to having talked with so and so about this or that. There's such a cone of silence around those guys. How have you? What is your history with those members? Well, very, very little. I mean, they don't do a lot of interviews, and you have to be pretty high up the food chain to get interviews. My favorite story is uh, is I did get to see them at the Toronto Rocks SARS stock massive. Toronto concert, you know, in support of, I think there was Legionnaire's disease or something in Toronto and knocked down the, the, uh, tourism industry or little whatever. So there was this concert, outdoor concert at an ex military base, Downsview Park, 400,000 people headlined by the Stones, ACDC second to last, Rush, 
pile other bands. Um, so I got to interview Malcolm in the hotel room the next day after that concert. That was great. Um, and I've talked to Phil. I've talked to Cliff. Um, I've talked to the odd engineer. Uh, sure. And I think that's pretty much. Oh, no, Simon. Simon's almost a buddy of mine, kind of. Oh, Simon, wow. right? Um, yeah. So, uh, but that, I think, is the extent of all my ACDC interviews. So, there, so there's huh. been very little. Yeah, uh, uh, through the years, and most people haven't had a lot of interviews with ACDC. I mean, people hire up, hire sure. up, of course. But yeah, what is what? I mean, that has to be intentional. Why do you think they do that? Do they just? I imagine them a little bit like Sade, where it's like I don't need to talk to anybody. I'll just put out albums, and you guys will fawn over them, and I'll stay over here and do what I want to do. Why is what's the myth? What's the theology there? Do you know? You know, a few things I think are at work there. Um, number one, they are very close shop and they're very guarded and they feel like they've been ripped off a few times. So they're very insular family. So they're, they're, they're famous for that. They're famous for being like, like, you know, locked up like Fort Knox kind, kind of thing. So that's one thing. The other thing I often wonder, um, so, so couple things at work. I've noticed Prince never did very many interviews. And when you see him do interviews, you realize why he just yeah, not very articulate or insightful, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's the case with ACDC, but I think there's a similarity between ACDC and sports figures getting interviewed when, Ooh, when the fact point. of the matter is, what the heck can we even talk about here? Yeah. I mean, the magic is just this simple rock and roll with these dumb lyrics. There's really nothing we can talk about here. I, there's only downside because because quickly it's going to lean to gossip, right? Because, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you, you lose the football game and it's like, well, why did you lose or whatever? Or why did you win? Or how good are they? Well, they're exactly as good as the score. Like, like those sports guys, unfortunately, get asked these cliched questions all the time and they can't really, there's nothing much to answer back. You know, yeah. the only interesting thing in sports is like, who's quietly not telling you about an injury or something, right? Um <laughs> You know, so so I, I feel there's a little bit of that with ACDC. It's like, well, what said. The hell are we even going to talk about? Yeah, yeah. Right? I've only ever seen one or two brief interviews with Angus, I think. And yeah, he doesn't talk much. And uh, you're right. I, maybe there's just not a lot of depth there. Brian, when you get him talking, is a real gentleman. Did you watch his show that was on Axis a couple of years ago where he would go around and interview like Joe Elliott and Sting yeah. and Robert Plant. He was so lovable in that. And he'd call yeah. everyone me son, you know, and, and yeah. uh, bless you. And he was just so sweet. Oh, they all are. I mean, and, and Malcolm was a super nice guy too. And I said, Angus, you know, said hi to Angus yeah. in the hallway. I, I remember at that interview, I'm waiting in the hallway and Angus, you know, walks by with his, with his house coat on and his little tea tray and <laughs> say hi and stuff. Um, but you know, they're, they're, they're perfectly fine that way. But um, yeah, I, ju I just figure I, w I would love to hear all of them. See, this is the question I would ask all of them and ask them repeatedly and hammer, hammer it on them is like, tell me the difference between these albums. What are the personalities of these albums from your point of view? How was making them different? You know, which one took two weeks and which one took four months yeah. uh, and all that kind of stuff. So I'd want to know about that kind of stuff. But, but there's not much you can ask them about the lyrics and they're not even yeah. much about the riffs. There's gear talk and they've done all that. I mean, it's not that. You know, this is a band that did do a fair number of interviews over the years, but uh, but uh, yeah, I just feel there's just this element of there's not much to talk about. There's no concept albums. Yeah, true. Uh, the album covers are lousy. 
you know, they're pretty crappy album covers. You could tell there's nothing like there's nothing to talk about on them. Number one. And you could tell they probably had not much to do with them either. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Now this makes a lot more sense. What is, okay. I want to ask you about some of the individual members. Um, do you really think Brian left because of your problems or do you think something else was going on? Oh, he definitely had that whole ear problem thing. He's talked at yeah. length about it. I mean, that was a big thing. But yeah, there's a lot of strange stuff there about, you know, writing credits and who's getting paid royalties and all that stuff and disrespect. And, you know, these bands, we don't we don't realize this, but once they start living apart, you know, mm-hmm. in all over the world sort of thing, they they the probably relations, you know, fall down a little bit, right? But yeah, so they're so they this is a band that kind of probably does have a lot of secrets to hide, right? So that's why, again, in interviews, it can only be bad for them. There's They got nothing they're excited to talk about, really. Because uh, there's really nothing to talk about, True. and then and then all the all the juicy stuff they don't want to talk about. So, um, but yeah, he had that. He's obviously had voice problems. Uh, although, although I guess most of the voice problems are related to the hearing problems. Mm. So, but yeah, the fascinating thing is is this is a band that could go on tour and make another album. It's crazy. But, you know, as usual, with all these heritage bands, you definitely have a weak link in that singer position. You've got some 75-year-old vocal cords there, you know, waiting to not do its job, right? Good point. They, um, I I will always regret this. They came to Denver. And like I said, I was finally kind of into them. And I thought I should go. And then I talked myself out of it. And it was probably three or four days later when Brian left the band. And uh, I just thought, man, I had a chance to see them who knows how they would have sounded but i had a chance to see them before it all became weird you know and i've gotten to know their his manager tarquin gotch has been on here a couple of times and we've discussed brian and he posed the party line well john have you ever had your hearing problems before because it's not very fun and so of course he's not going to say much about his client but i've just always wondered if there was more going on now malcolm i feel like malcolm is someone who was underappreciated until he was gone and then all this praise deservedly came to Malcolm after that. He might be the secret weapon of the band. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you were kind of following them along, you basically knew that that most of the songwriting was Malcolm and Angus together. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I, I think you realize that just because Angus is the lead guitarist, it doesn't really mean he's writing the songs. And then the other thing is um, there's there's all this murkiness about who's really writing the lyrics. But, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for the idea that it's it's, I guess, collaborative between the three of them. And then, but you could say Malcolm definitely had a lot to do with that as well. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it is. And, and, you know, Malcolm's the boss of the band. He's the guy kind of calling the shots, Malcolm and Angus together. Everybody else certainly is subservient to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I think he was, he was pretty appreciated. Um, okay. But yeah, imagine just falling into that rhythm guitar role and then, you know, the simplicity of Phil's drumming and Cliff's bass. I mean, there's so much simple going on all yeah, the time. Right? Yeah. Good point. Um, I want to, they are a band that I think of whose stock has risen over the years. I think if you were to talk to any 20 to 35 year old and ask them who the greatest bands of all time are, um, when we were growing up, or at least when I was growing up, it was Beatles and Stones. Who's number one? Who's at the top? And I feel like no one talks about the Stones anymore. Not really, except for people our age. Beatles are still up there. Led Zeppelin seems to keep getting higher and higher. Pink Floyd seems to keep getting higher and higher. Queen, obviously. And then ACDC. And their stock has risen over the years. 
the who might be sort of falling a little bit or staying the same, plateauing, but the stones have depth. What do you attribute that to? Why do you think it is? And I have a I have a theory on this, but I'm wondering what you think. Yeah, I, I think it's the the perennial phenomenon that is back in black. You know, it's it's good time, happy music. It's super accessible. Um, there's just enough hits that you hear them all all the time, and 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 there's enough hits that are in sports arenas uh, enough, yeah. right? All the time, yeah. so you're constantly being reminded of them that way as well. Um, they did put out another album recently, so that was a little bit of news. They they toured fairly hard all their lives. Um, you know, uh, the, the albums kept getting kind of farther and farther apart and selling less and less true, but, um, yeah, I just think they just have lots and lots. You've got a dramatic death in the family and Bon mm-hmm. Scott and Malcolm mm-hmm. later, but de- definitely Bon Scott. So you've got, you know, got, you know, you've almost got when, when you've got a super important lead singers like that, you almost got two separate bands you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all of, all of that, those songs are just, you know, and I almost feel like, um, you know, there's this philosophy that that uh, normies who are not into heavy stuff at all, they'll they'll have their walk on the wild side, and and if you're you know pretty vanilla about your walk on the wild side, you'll own Back in Black, but you might own the Black album by Metallica. You you might you know know you're certainly not going to own Ace of Spades by Motorhead, but you'll know the song Ace of Spades and you'll like it. You'll know what Lemmy looks like. Right. So so there's. There's a few there's a few heavy albums that that can be found in every record collection and Back in Black's probably one of them. That's exactly what my thought was too. I think because of the evergreen nature of that album, every sub- subsequent generation discovers it and cottons to it because the the riffage, the heavy heaviness, but also the pot, the the catchiness of the songs never goes out of style whereas Something about the Stones, I guess, those hits from back in the day must just feel too old or too classic rock or too from another era. Whereas something about, you know, Hell's Bells or Back in Black or whatever, that stuff never stops. It never loses its sheen. Do you know of any major drug problems in the band? I know there's been some alcohol, but do you know of any... We talked earlier about secrets they may have been keeping. Do you know of anything like Not that? Not really. Just Phil Rudd, really. If you yeah. know Phil Rudd, it's pretty widely known. He he had some, but uh, other than Phil, I I don't think so. I've I've okay. never I've never heard cocaine stories and stuff. And I mean, it might be it might be a tribute to how great they are at keeping secrets out, keeping True. secrets down, right? Yeah. yeah. Are you a Bond guy or a Brian guy? Both. Um, you know, I I don't I don't you know i don't think bond's the guy particularly that made you know my two favorite albums uh in the bond era but i mean i'm a i'm a 70s guy so I'm, i like the late 70s stuff my favorite my third favorite acdc album would be flick of the switch okay um and then fourth would probably be back in black so so i've got two you know two mm-hmm. and two going there so yeah i think brian did an amazing job too and you know that's the other thing about acdc i i find that uh they you know People lean to calling them a heavy metal band for for the obvious reason, distortion pedal on constantly. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, they had two extreme vocalists, right? Yeah. Two two yeah. guys that were pretty extreme voices. And, and Brian might even be the more extreme of the two of them. Yeah. So, you know, even, even yeah. though they're just this mainstream massive band, you've got this guy that sounds like a wailing banshee. It's like Dan McCafferty of Nazareth, right? <laughs> That's totally true. I uh, I think uh, I can't think of another band where the 
changing of the front man worked so seamlessly. I mean, you can, even in Van Halen, there are people who, most people prefer Dave to Sammy. There are some people who think they're better, but those feel like two separate bands more than Bon and Brian's version of ACDC. It just feels like a continuation, that same screeching banshee uh, thing. And I think, I wonder if maybe because the fact Bon is dead and it's kind of cool to like the dead guys, you know, put Bond's face on a t-shirt for a teenager and you're saying something versus Brian's face on a t-shirt doesn't say anything. You know, you're making a statement that I'm into dead rock stars. I am curious. Let's talk about your book for a minute because it's as beautiful and wonderful as the Bowie book we talked about before. And it's clear that you like this band more than you liked Bowie. Um, what, uh, what did you have to cut or, leave out or whatever tell us about the process of compiling this book yes yeah, so, so it it was their it was their concept which is great just like the bowie right the bowie was bowie at 75 this acdc at 50 so so the 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 brief is is to write about 50 acdc career highlights or milestones right they might not all be happy ones or whatever you know and then the word count is, is fairly small for for a book so so to be given that word count, you go away and do your math and you come up with the 50 highlights. So the, the challenge really, the challenge with ACDC is because there's not a lot of drama, you know, coming up with 50 career highlights, I might, I might've slowly been tapping out at 40 on my way to 50, but I certainly didn't have 60 and 70. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but then after that, the challenge is, is, is to, is to is to keep a two thousand word story down to six hundred words or whatever, and what do you leave out? And so you know that can take as much writing as just writing the two thousand word version, right? True. Um, because you just have to decide, you know, how how do I polish this like a diamond, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I love, and you know, this publisher is so good with, um, you know, my my editor over there, Dennis Pernu, you know, he goes out and picks up all the all you know gets all the pictures straight is very thoughtful about finding the pictures that match the, uh, the entries uh, and that we've got a timeline in there. And um, so, so it's a, and they, and they hire top designers. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful looking book as well. It's, it's it like is. a, it's like a, it's like a set of liner notes for a box set without the music. Sort yes. Of perfectly yeah. said. Yes. It's yeah. gorgeous. I have it right here. And um, I love everything these guys are doing with these at, whatever series do you have another one that you're working on because you're two for two now yes uh kiss at 50 just got announced really so, so that that one is uh is all laid out i've actually seen the layouts and it looks amazing it's really gorgeous i mean they're they're more photogenic than ACDC, sure. right um so yeah that looks great um and you've yeah. already written that one that's going to yep. be coming out. Oh, well, then yep. you and I are probably going to talk again here soon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. It, it'll be a few months still. I mean, it'll sure. be, I think it's October-ish that it's. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is there, who would you, what band would you want to write the At 50 book on that you don't think anyone would buy? Wow. Um, I just recently had a, a, a cool career milestone happen where, um, you know, I did these uh, books uh, where I had to write about every single song by Led Zeppelin and The Clash. And I just did oh, one goodness. like that on The Damned. So that I love that book. It's just a small little trade paperback, but it's literally four or five hundred words on every single song the damned ever did. So I love it. It's 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 really cool. But uh, and at 50. Wow. Um the jam i love the jam so much Ooh. that would be amazing to do <clears throat> don't think it would sell that great the stranglers oh um, i thought you were gonna to say to something do. like crocus 
or uh, you yeah, know no. Saxon or something well, like that. Well, if you want to get really into the weeds, magazine. I oh, just, magazine. Oh. I just worship those guys. XTC. Um, I just those, those this week fun. put out an interview with John Leckie, who was their producer for a lot of this stuff. We touched on magazine and XTC and wow. a lot of these bands. Yeah, that's great. He's amazing. That's, wow, that's who awesome. knew? You get to talk to all these cool guys. Yeah, it is. It's super yeah. fun. It's super fun. Wow, who knew that you would have been picking all these British kind of punk and post punk bands? Yeah, there's so many new sides to Martin. Who knew? Well, you know, I mean, fact of the matter is, most of the heavy bands, um, if I did an at fifty on them, it would be my third and fourth book on those bands. True, right? Well, that's true. So you good know, point. I'm I'm burnt out by, by, on uh, twenty five different bands. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Well, what you've done it again, Martin. I mean, I just think there is a known. Uh, as soon as I pick up a book that's written by you, I, I don't know how to say this without sounding cheesy. I know that I'm in good hands. I enjoy reading what you have to say and the way you turn a phrase more than just about anybody, especially when it comes to music that I know you're passionate about. And uh, this book is wonderful. So thank you for doing it again. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, we'll we'll chat again for Kiss. <laughs> we will. We will. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, good. Okay. All right, there you have it, Martin Popoff. I want to have him on, like, regularly. I love talking music with him. It's different than having a writer like Mick Wall. Mick kind of uh, indulges in the gossip, you know, and tells you, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff because he knows a lot of those people. Martin is just such a great writer and such a great... He knows a lot, and he thinks about it critically, and he's very, uh, you know, erudite about talking about it, which is just what you want. I love conversing with Martin. I thought I'd break it. I thought I'd close this out with the song that kind of broke it for me with ACDC, which is Heat Seeker, which is kind of a silly song, to be honest, but this was the first one I remembered. Um, anyway, I don't have one to give away this time. It, I wish I did. I didn't have a spare copy. But go check out ACDC at 50. It's fantastic. Just as all the other books, the Alice Cooper and the Bowie, all the other books in this series are amazing. And it sounds like we have more to look forward to. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later.